Water Values Podcast, Session 152. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. have a great show for you today. We have Nusha Ajami, the Director of Urban Water Policy at the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment. Uh, she also uh, holds several several other positions at Stanford. Uh, she's a gubernatorial appointee to a water board in California, so she is just chock full of knowledge and you're really going to enjoy this conversation because she was absolutely fantastic. Uh, before we get to the show, though, uh, first off, apologies for the feed issues last week uh, or, or the last episode that was released. I know that uh, uh, for those of you who have the who get the newsletter, you understand that there was a plug-in failure and that caused the feed to get severed and what a mess. But we we uh, hopefully we got it figured out now, and then the uh, the podcast is is available through your normal channels. I know that. Um, on some channels, they not all episodes may be available, uh, but we're we're trying to f- get everything figured out. I, I know if I know Castbox has every episode available. I think Apple Podcasts may only have the last one hundred. Not one hundred percent sure why that is, but if you really are dying to get into some some deep back episodes, uh, you can go to Castbox and they'll have uh, the episodes on it. Uh, also, I want to uh, thank you for the great ratings and reviews. Uh, we didn't. We kind of ran out of time last time, and so I will uh, read one of the uh, ratings and reviews here on Apple Podcasts that is uh, fairly recent. Uh, and OK Hog Law, which stands for Oklahoma Hog Law, uh, says, "Great podcast. I'm an attorney in Oklahoma as well as a fresh grad student in a water resources program. I'm so far behind, but this podcast is helping me connect the dots. Keep it coming, and thank you." Well, Oklahoma Hog Law, you are. Very welcome, and I hope you uh, find this upcoming episode interesting and uh, the, the remaining episodes in this uh, year interesting. It's, it's always good, and it makes me feel good that, that people get benefits out of this. So with that, let's get to our feature interview with um, Nusha Ajami. She's terrific, and so here we go. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and away we go. Well, Nusha, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come on. How are you today? Thank you for ending station. I'm doing well, David. Uh, good. Hey, uh, uh, could you tell us, Nusha, uh, for starters, a little about your background, how you got interested in water? Sure. I uh, started studying uh, civil environmental engineering uh, back in Iran and um, uh, was very, very interested in the concept of efficiency and optimization in general. I uh, did a little bit of work on resource management while I was there. And when I uh, came to the U.S. to pursue my um, uh, master's and Ph.D., I got uh, lucky enough to get to know um, uh, my faculty advisor, Suru Surushian, who was running a very um, large uh, National Science Foundation Science Center uh, on sustainable water resource management. So um, my passion for resource efficiency and uh, uh, efficient resource management and sustainability sort of translated into some of the work that I ended up doing uh, at the University of Arizona, UC Irvine, and then follow on 
um, uh, in my, uh, you know, the rest of my career. Sure, sure. And so w- w- where is all this, uh, the, these interests and this background kind of led you? What are you doing now? So um, funny enough, you ask, because I uh, finished a PhD on uh, estimating uncertainties in uh, water and flood forecasting. So th- that was very interesting. I, my biggest question was, so who cares really about, <laughs> uh, you know, estimating uncertainties? Obviously, I was very passionate about it. I developed this very, very, um, it's like a sort of state of an art um, um, methodology, um, which I published. Then I figured the only way I can find a path to understand better how I can make an impact would be if I better understand how policymaking process work and and also economics. Uh, so I actually um, worked with an economist at UC Berkeley for a few years, learned a lot about uh, how the economics decisions are made, how do you sort of translate uncertainty into risk and reliability, and uh, that was really eye-opening and interesting uh, to me. And then I ended up going and working for the legislature in California for about a year and learned how the policymaking process works, uh, which actually was um, – I learned a lot during that year. I will say I got a, a, <laughs> an extra PhD in public policy and also a humbling experience, obviously, because uh, your passion and your topic is as interesting as a topic of the day. If, if it's a priority at this time of the day, uh, of course, everybody wants to know what you have to say. Otherwise, there's so many other things that are important. And the only way you can make an influence is if you try to understand how the topic that you are interested in relates to so many other societal issues that some of the pol- all the policymakers are interested in or want to work on. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. You've hit on something that's really important for those of us in the water industry to realize is that, you know, water is passionate to a lot of us, but it's not the only issue out there. And and too often, I think water, we in the water industry are are in either in an echo chamber or we're only thinking of it from one perspective. And so I think. Uh, that's why I'm very excited about this interview is because you're going to bring in all these multidisciplinary uh, perspectives. And so I, I, and, uh, and first off, I apologize for cutting you off. I, I think you were going to start no, no. to say anything. So I, I, no, no, no. I just wanted to highlight that. I just wanted to highlight Sorry. that because I thought it was very important. I appreciate that. That's exactly what I was going to say. So you, you, <laughs> Sorry. You, 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 no, 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 absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. We are often, um, obviously water is a very important issue and uh, it is an element that makes life possible, obviously, and it's important to manage it better. But the reality is um, we, one of the things I learned very quickly when I joined the legislature was um, I, we, I am only one seat as a t- at a table that might have sometimes hundreds of seats. And um, I think it is important to know where you belong and, um, and also try to pay attention how you can make co- uh, partnership and alliances that can help uh, to move your cause forward while also helping other issues that are on the table. Let's let's kind of jump off from that point and talk about some of the policy issues that you dealt with, um, you know, primarily like in, in urban water systems. What what were some of those policy issues that uh, that your experience in the California legislature kind of brought to bear on you? Sure. Uh, you know, the first thing I did when I um, 
during the time I was actually working um, in the legislature, um, I've worked on uh, renewable energy policies, um, the in sort of the financing mechanisms that have been used for um, uh, renewable energy and also promoting, um, uh, you know, to combat climate change. Learning more about the whole financing process and how um, uh, energy efficiency and renewable energy is being um, promoted through various policies made me think these are very similar to things that we can do for water and why aren't we doing them for water? Maybe we need to put a little bit more focus on what do we need as a financial model uh, for the water sector. So I would say one of the things I learned there was this, and then I came out and devoted a section of my um, work and research uh, right after that to this whole concept of new and alternative financial models that we need for the uh, for the 20, for our 21st century water sector. One other topic that um, I ended up working with when I was there was the concept of land use and land management and also uh, invasive species. Um, uh, I know um, it might not sound very relevant to water. At, I mean, at least that's not how, how, now, not how I saw it at the beginning, but I learned so much working on that project. I had a side project to work on regulatory and policy regimes for invasive species, which is actually a big issue for some of our water bodies and also it is going to be an issue as climate change and migration and all this new um, movement of people and uh, sort of is impact uh, the way it would impact our water systems um, and um, so that was another interesting issue i would say another very important topic was fragmentation uh, you can see that in the water sector very much. Um, you learn that when you are in the legislature, the bills come and go and pass, and um, and then you realize uh, some of these bills or some of these policy ideas are very sometimes are very narrow um, and need to be a little bit broader and address multiple issues. Yeah. So. Yeah. Th those are a, a number of very interesting things. Can you talk ab about your uh, diversified water supply? If you think about it, uh, let's talk about California. Uh, but this is very relevant to so many other parts of the country and the world. Um, you know, we we just uh, went through a very uh, uh, severe drought um, between 2012 and 2016. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, worry about if we're going to have access to, you know, what's going to happen to next water year? Are we going to have enough water? Um, and there was a lot of discussion around what kind of water supplies do we need to meet future demand? Um, you know, another another example is, you know, some of our imported water that we depend on. Um, again, thinking about some of the, the communities in California, we bring the water from long distances, is imported. Uh, they all has been built based on the assumption they're going to have enough snow or rain to meet our needs. Um, but some of these some of these communities including communities in southern california and some of the cities and communities in northern california actually have been working on uh, developing alternative water supplies recycling reuse uh, focusing on conservation and efficiency trying to capture stormwater uh, and reuse it um, when it's needed recharging groundwater um, desalination for some of these communities um, these are all options that has been explored in different parts of the state 
innovate and um, have the potential to be, make us more resilient in the future. Um, now, not every community has all these opportunities available to them, right? So you don't want to have a prescriptive policy that says everybody needs to have 10% recycling, 5%, uh, you know, stormwater, 10% uh, conservation and efficiency. You actually want to allow these communities to go and explore and see if what are the possibilities to them and how they can build this diversified portfolios that would improve their resiliency. And um, so the idea is, um, you know, the legislature or the policy policy solution for this would be every community, every region in California or in different parts of the world or in the U.S., uh, should consider having 20%, 30% of their water supply coming from alternative water supplies, similar to 30% of your energy should come from renewable energy, right? Right. And then let them go and figure out what is possible and, um, and provide incentives for them to ex do this exploration and develop these solutions regionally based on the past opportunities and possibilities that's um, available to them. Yeah. How has that policy been received? Um, I think there's definitely interest in that. Um, I, uh, we have had conversations with various um, uh, members of the policy community, um, from uh, staffers in the legislature to um, some of the legislative body uh, members um, of the legislature. And um, there is definitely interest. The point is you, um, policymaking, one, one thing I would say is the, is these windows of opportunities. You want to make sure the crisis and the window is uh, aligned at the same time. So definitely it is a conversation that there is interest in it. I'm sure you have noticed that um, Governor uh, Newsom has um, uh, offered interest uh, to hear uh, what how communities can become more resilient, and he's interested to kind of explore these opportunities. Uh, so I think there is an opportunity there. Um, but so I would say in some regions, very well received. Some regions, there's still debates. Um, but w one thing I would tell you is the challenge is not just, so you, you make up these policies, right? So the legislature can say this needs to happen. Then so many other things need to happen to enable such a change, right? Um, our utilities, for example, are, are uh, they have to adapt to this new regime uh, in a sense uh, that, you know, um, the whole conservation and efficiency is one side of the aisle because they, you know, they definitely impact the uh, financial bottom line of the, some of these utilities because they depend on selling water, right? So that needs to change because if there are people who are going to um, put uh, on-site reuse in their buildings or do more conservation and efficiency, how it's going to impact the financial uh, model of the utility. Another thing is... Um, how, what kind of incentives are going to be provided to the public and the, and the communities, cities, and the regions to actually make this happen? Because it needs to happen in every layer. You have to have, to just going back again, because people really understand how energy, renewable energy has worked, so I always try to switch back and forth. You have to have solar farms. 
that are sort of regionally owned and operated, but you also have to have solar panels on people's roofs. So these go hand in hand, right? So they mm -hmm. don't, you can't just rely on one. It's the same with water. We have to have regional recycling plant. We have to have a local on-site reuse. We have to have a regional stormwater capture project. We have to have, like, you know, we should promote individuals to capture their rain. So it needs to happen in every uh, scale. Uh, and that requires a lot of leadership and a change in our business model. I would guess that there are some utilities out there uh, that, that are already kind of thinking along these lines without having to, to get the policy pushed from the legislature. You're absolutely right. Um, there are definitely innovators in this uh, in this uh, space, and they have, there are some utilities that have been doing all these things uh, in different size and different scale, either to while they foresee what's coming next to address those future challenges by being proactive, or because they're actually facing some challenges, so they have to do these things. But if you want a real change throughout the whole industry, it needs to actually have some sort of a catalyzer. And that catalyzer, in some cases, needs to be a policy change. One of the other things you mentioned was invasive species. And, and we've ta I've talked a little about invasive species on this podcast, but it has certainly not been a focus. What, could you, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective and, you know, and have you expand a little more on how, how in, you know, dealing with invasive species impacted uh, your experience in the water sector. So, you know, invasive species can definitely impact water quality, right? And mm -hmm. also that... It it can impact our um, natural habitat in so many different ways. And we depend this, in this natural habitat and water quality to be able to provide safe drinking water um, for, um, for people in various regions. And um, so, so I guess, um, so that's, that's the nexus, the whole quality quantity and also protecting um, natural environment and uh, ecosystem that these uh, water bodies depend on. One focus I had for that specific project I worked on was how, uh, as I said, how um, fragmented these system, these um, issues are being managed. And um, uh, I, if my memory um, sort of helps me, I think there were like four different agencies, who, four or five different agencies who were dealing with this issue. And each one of them were dealing with it from their own side and perspective, right? right. So like, and, and, they, and they, each one of them had their own pot of money to deal with their issues. <laughs> and one of the comments there that I came out of this work was, if these people work together and actually put all this money together, they can be a lot lot more effective and can have an amplifying effect rather than each one of these individuals. One other thing, which is actually relevant, very relevant to the water sector as well, is everything we had done with invasive species has been reactive. And that's very similar to what we do with water. We are yes. reacting to what's coming rather than being proactive and think long-term have provide vision of where everything is going and how we can adjust before the future arrives. Right. And that was another thing that came out of that work. Uh, can you talk a little about, you know, your, your big picture view on sustainable water management? The most important part of sustainable water management is actually, I would say two things. One is um, source protection, making sure the resources we have is not polluted and impacted. Um, the second thing is conservation efficiency. 
making sure the resources that we have, we use them um, uh, in the best way and we are not wasteful and we are not um, mismanaging them. Um, that, and I think those are two pillars of sustainable water resource management. And then after we do that, and maybe I should add something here um, regarding especially the um, source protection. You know, we have a lot of groundwater that has been impacted some because of industrial activities we have mm -hmm. had. Yep. Or we have rivers or water bodies that have been impacted because of some of our um, different activities, different uh, uh, environment, sorry, industrial and social activities that we have had. And some of these water bodies are very difficult to clean up and use. So, and we spend so much money as a society right now to clean up some of these water bodies because now we realize we need them. So, I would say protecting those water bodies is much cheaper and much more beneficial to all of us than going back and cleaning them up. Um, so, um, so that's why it's always on top of my list. Um, so then, then comes to comes back to okay. So, what are how are we managing these systems to make them last longer? We have a water system that was built last century during the last century. We have laws and governing governance systems that was actually established in the last century. We are not driving a Ford that was built in 1900, the early 1900s, are we? No. The cars have evolved so much since the first car that came, uh, you know, that was built, uh, uh, you know, or the first Ford that became a sort of like a accessible uh, model for every um a person. Um, we, we have evolved so much um, throughout the years in the way we manage our systems and we, in the way we manage our um, needs. Uh, we are not using the telephones that we used to use in the 19th century. Our, our problems have changed too, right? A lot of these reactions have been because, um, because of advancement in, um, um, in sort of innovation and advancement in our uh, systems and also responding to those advancements. That's not true in the water sector. If you think about it, we have these infrastructure system we built in the 20th century and there's still a push to build the same infrastructure system in the 21st century. Now you think about our problems and challenges, um, globalization, uh, sorry, urbanization, population growth, uh, think about climate change that is totally putting our water systems out of whack because it's just changing our climate, climatic patterns so much that makes these infrastructure systems don't work anymore. And then, um, and then you have the environmental impact, which is we are realizing more and more that we, we are not disconnected from our environment. So we can't, um, uh, we have to manage our um, uh, watersheds and habitats uh, in parallel with our water systems because we depend on those habitats um, to keep uh, the systems um, um, to be useful and accessible. Yeah. So I, so I think that whole perspective goes into what sustainable water resource management. And I'm more than happy to elaborate in any of those if uh, you're interested. Do you have any uh, thoughts on how our utilities of today, how the, the 21st century utility ought to be, uh, or, or water system ought to be adapted so that it could, could better 
adjust to climate change and urbanization and, and population growth and some of those other factors you just identified? Sure, absolutely. So um, let's let's start from um, the business model that these utilities have. Um, all most of the water utilities are still charging people in volumetric rates. So as you use water, you pay for your water use. The reality is, I mean, it's important to highlight that water as a as a resource is free. Um, we are paying for the services that we receive. Um, and these systems that we depend on, they uh, need to be operated and maintained at all time. And as they age, they need more attention. Um, but we also want to make sure people use less water and are more efficient. If we are charging people in a volumetric sense, how are we going to promote conservation and efficiency when, we, when these utilities depend on their rates to be able to operate and maintain their system. So being able to separate their fixed costs from variable costs and being able to re re always recover their fixed costs to be able to maintain and operate these systems while also promote conservation efficiency is key. So that's, that's one, um, one piece of this. I think the second piece is the whole um, um, sort of governance and business model as a whole. Um, so imagine cities, I mean, I, I would like to say cities of the future are, are going to, uh, when, when you think about the water system, are going to look hybrid. Um, they, we are going to have more buildings that would have on-site reuse and gray water systems. And we are going to have more stormwater capture rather than trying to get the stormwater and dump it out as far as we, as we can. So we're going to try to use storm more effectively. And we are going to have more uh, efficient systems. Now, when we are talking about what kind of infrastructure do we need for the 21st century, we have to think about, okay, do we need very the same exact wastewater treatment plants? Or these new future wastewater treatment plants needs to be adapted to this new reality that might that less water wastewater might be coming down and less, um, you know, more concentrated solid, uh, uh, wastewater we may have. Or actually, um, utilities, the water utilities, the ones that provide water supply, need to think about, do, we, do they um, need to build more supplies if there are more people who are doing more conservation and efficiency or more people are going to do on-site reuse? What demand model or what demand pattern are they building their infrastructure for? And I can elaborate on that a little bit, which sort of think about it this way. Um, Amazon doesn't go and build um, uh, sort of uh, warehouses everywhere. They actually try to see where the demand is going and they strategize their investments based on where they think the demand is going. Right now in the water sector, our perception of demand is as population grows, demand is going to grow. So we need more and more water supplies. If you look at the historical water use, you can see that in every region in California and many other parts of the world, water use has been steady, either steadily dropping or has been not changing at all. Um, uh, there have been ups and downs, but has been quite steady. So who are we building these systems for? If people are, even though population has grown so much, we still don't see a change in demand. 
Another element of it is, and, and this sort of feeds into my next comment, which is data. Um, you know, we have a lot more data now. Um, you know, we're, we're collecting data. Everybody's collecting data day in and day out. The cell phone I have in my hand is collecting <laughs> data on me every minute, every second, right? This data, uh, why do you think Facebook and Amazon and Googles are so interested in all that data? Because they want to see where people's behavior, how people's behavior is changing and how that's going to impact their bottom line. Same thing for the water sector. We can use that information to better understand where water demand is going and how people's behavior is changing. And, um, and I think I would say water sector needs to adjust to this reality and actually harness this information to make better decisions and build utilities of the future that have a totally different business model, depend on a different rate setting process, governs in a more coordinated manner. Water, there's no reason to have a water supply agency and wastewater agency and a stormwater agency. We can have a water agency that does all these things because um, I know I'm sort of jumping into the whole concept of one water, but this is all one water. We are moving toward this whole circular economy era Water is the main part of this circular economy. We have to use it as many times as we can. And we have to be smart about it. We have to use the data to better make better decisions. What, what about kind of the infrastructure that we're building? You know, there, there's this big gray versus green infrastructure. I mean, what, how, how does that factor into all this? That's a great question. Okay, so that's another element, which is the have, as we put uh, our water in three buckets of water supply, wastewater and stormwater, we also did not think about, we didn't used to think about nature as an ally in this whole um, effort um, of managing water in the 20th century. Now more and more we are realizing actually nature is, an, is our ally. Um, uh, you know, green infrastructure is a great example uh, because more and more cities are considering green infrastructure as a way of managing stormwater, protecting actually source protection, trying to capture water where it falls and avoiding um, pollution as it uh, flows through the city, um, and um, and and also when you think about coastal resilience and cities of the future and how they're going to manage different storms and different um, um, uh, sea level rise, you will see very quickly on top of that list is green infrastructure because all the marshes and um, and wetlands um, have played the role of buffer before. And now we are realizing we, use, we actually in the 20th century, we actually um, filled a lot of those and build on them. Um, but now we are realizing actually we have to restore those because they are a buffer that protecting us from the rising sea and as water comes in. So I think um, that's a great question and sort of highlights the fact that um, green infrastructure, it will be and will be and in some communities is going to be one part of that whole portfolio of infrastructure we need for the future, which would do um, multi, which would provide multifaceted benefits, um, including water supply and um, stormwater management. But I think this is also very important. That one sort of maybe a pivot, but very very relevant is um, as an engineer. Um, 
you know, what we do is we try to be uh, do everything deterministic. Uh, we want to know the outcome. It's very important. I, if when I build a wastewater treatment plant where, or when I build a dam, I know how many people that dam will provide water to if it gets filled up or how many um, gallons of wastewater this wastewater treatment plant will be processed. That will, will process. When you think about green infrastructure, nature is not deterministic. Nature is uncertain. And we have to work with that. Um, but when our, all our business model, financial models are built on that whole deterministic approach, we want to make sure there's a guarantee that if we build something, if we invest in something, it will give us a very specific outcome. And um, as we move to this 21st century model, and I want to say, as we think about 22nd century, we have to think at think about how are these performance matrices that we have put in place are actually pulling us back rather than moving us forward. Green infrastructure is a great example of that because if you put green infrastructure in the same calculations we did for conventional infrastructure or gray infrastructure, it would not par well. Right. But, right. but you have, if they, pro they can provide um, you know, societal benefits, they can provide, they can help us in, uh, cl uh, you know, emission control management or reduc emission reductions. They can have, um, you know, uh, energy benefits. They, I mean, they, ha they can have multiple benefits. Um, so it's not one benefit, multiple benefits, but it's distributed across different disciplines and different issues. Yeah, so, yeah. Great. I, I, I think that's a fantastic answer. So, well, Nusha, you've been terrific today. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, do you have a leave behind message? What, 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 you know, when you, from your, from your uh, perspective, kind of what, what ought to we be thinking about as we uh, move forward in the water sector? I always think about, um, water as a, as obviously as a main element of everything we do and everything we touch has some sort of like a water, uh, footprint. So, um, I would say, go back to my comment on source protection and conservation and efficiency. We have to use the concept of circular economy for water more actively. And we have to think about how these futuristic, or maybe not futuristic, but future water systems are going to look like and how we can right now incorporate this um, circular economy concept into it and make sure that every drop of water is used effectively, is not polluted, and is used multiple times before we um, uh, discharge it. Um, and also, uh, maybe another, maybe I'll have two leaves. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I would say another thing is uh, consumption in every level. Um, can impact our water resources from what we wear to what we drink to what we eat and the decisions that we make the reducing waste in every level can help us to have a healthiest environment and protect our water supplies not just in the u.s not just in california but across the world and the decisions we make about what we wear can impact water supply in china and India, um, which again circles back to us at some point. So it is very important to think about how we consume um, different products and how we can reduce waste at our home. Terrific. Well, Nusha, again, thank you so much. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go to get that information? I have 
have a website within the Stanford's Woods Institute. If you go to thewatervalues.com, we'll have that link on there, and they can they can find you that way. Um, Absolutely. Terrific. And they can search my name and uh, Woods <laughs> Institute, and it will probably come up as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the conversation. Oh, you're welcome. It was great to have you on. Thanks, thanks so much, Nusha. Thank you. Bye. Bye Well, hope you enjoyed that interview with Nusha Ajami. She was absolutely fantastic. She carried the interview. She did such a great job. I really appreciate her uh, coming on to the show. Um, In any event, um, tell me what you found interesting about the uh, the interview with Nusha. You can go to thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 152. That's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 152 and leave a comment on those show notes. Uh, You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. You can tweet at me using my handle, which is at DTM1993. And you can also sign up uh, and not sign up. You can sign up for the Water Values newsletter on there. And also... Please take the uh, listener survey. We'd really appreciate it if you'd uh, share some of your thoughts on the Water Values podcast and where, you know, what what type of content we ought to be bringing you. Well, again, thank you to Nusha Ajami for a great interview. And in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.